0: This is Hull Backstage Live, and you're listening to our 13 Days of Halloween, taken from Catherine Tucker Wyndham's 13 Alabama Ghosts and Jeffrey. This first compilation of Alabama Ghost Stories brings you famous ghosts and locations from throughout the mid to late 1800s. Shadows of the unrest which plagued the South during the Civil War, You can still visit some of these locations even to this day. Others have long since been reclaimed by the earth, and trees, and creeping vines. Thirteen individual readers will share with you these stories of love lost, unbearable tragedy, unsettled ghostly apparitions, and untimely death look for a new episode daily until october 31st a salty sailor makes his presence known after his death as thomas darnell reads mobiles pipe smoking sea captain
1: The captain had the rolling gait of a man who had done most of his walking on the decks of ships, and who had sailed long enough to set his pulses throbbing with the rhythm of the sea. No one now living remembers him, but many people recall hearing their grandparents tell about this strange man, so silent and withdrawn that his neighbors on Mobile's State Street had hardly more than a nodding acquaintance with him. These neighbors called him simply the captain. And after a while it seemed as he had no other name. It was rumored that he had left his ship after an angry disagreement with another officer, and the captain had stubbornly refused to apologize for his hasty, bitter words. After he moved into the house on State Street, he was often seen pacing restlessly about his yard. On fair days and foul, he wore his captain's cap set firmly on his graying hair. And as he paced, he blew clouds of smoke from his stubby pipe. So constantly did he smoke his pipe, it seemed almost a physical part of him. Some people said that the captain had seen every great seaport in the world, and that his house was filled with curios collected in faraway places. Few people ever saw these treasures, though, for the captain almost never had guests. For a while, after he moved to State Street, seafaring friends in town between voyages used to come to see him, but gradually their visits became more and more infrequent, and they finally ceased entirely. The captain was obviously lonely, but he rejected all gestures of friendships from his neighbors. He could not be congenial with landlubbers who had never known the wonders and majesty of the sea. He yearned for companions who shared his love for ships and whitecaps and churning waters. Sometimes his homesickness for ships and water exerted a pull as strong as the tide itself, and he would spend entire days along the docks watching freighters load and unload their cargoes. These were his happiest times. Late in the afternoon, after a day along the waterfront, he would give a smart salute to a ship moving out of the harbor. Then he would turn toward home, never looking back. Often he stopped to rest on a bench beneath the giant oaks in Bienville Square. He would sit there, smoking his pipe and savoring the events of the day among the ships. The visits to the waterfront, however, gave the captain only temporary solace. He tried to occupy himself at home, puttering about in his garden, and somehow weeding and pruning and transplanting were only dull, meaningless tasks, and after an hour or so of gardening, he would sit on a bench under the tree and smoke his pipe and gaze into space. People who lived nearby no longer attempted to be friendly or even bothered to speak when they passed. "'Occasionally someone would comment "'on the captain's increased gauntness "'and on the look of trapped agony in his eyes. "'But others would just retort, "'Well, if he would even be halfway friendly, "'he wouldn't be so lonesome. "'He acts like he thinks he's too good to associate with us. "'So let him alone.'" Early one morning, the captain left home smoking his pipe and wearing his cap proudly, as a ship's officer should. He spent the days wandering about the wharves, admiring the ships, and chatting with sailors about happenings on their latest voyages. At the end of the day, he gave his customary farewell salute to a departing freighter and went home, pausing on his way to spend a little while watching the fish swim about in the basin of the bronze fountain in Bienville Square. People who met him on his return trip said later that he had a resolute and determined air about him the look of a man who had made a decision after a long period of wretched uncertainty. The neighbors saw the captain go into his house. In a few minutes, they heard the sharp crack of a shot followed by the sound of someone falling downstairs. When they forced their way into the house, they found his body lying at the foot of the staircase. A pistol clutched in his hand and his captain's cap still on his head. Beside his body lay his pipe, warm from his final smoke. Sometime after the captain's suicide, Charles Smallwood, an Englishman, bought the house on State Street and at his death, the property went to his son, William Smallwood. It was after the William Smallwood family moved into the house that the visitations of the captain's ghost began. One night, Mr. and Mrs. Smallwood were awakened by a loud noise that sounded as if someone had fallen down the stairs. Mr. Smallwood was certain that one of his sons had tripped in the dark and tumbled downstairs, but he found them sound asleep in their beds. Nobody, nothing, was on the stairs. After they were awakened for several nights by the disturbance and after they failed to find any explanation for the bumps and thuds, Mr. and Mrs. Smallwood accepted the theory offered by the neighbors that the mysterious noises were caused by the captain's ghost, who was doomed to return and reenact his suicide as punishment for taking his own life. As time passed, the captain's ghost began to supplement his nocturnal noises with daylight strolls around the yard. Mrs. Smallwood was terribly frightened one morning to see a strange man walking among her flowers, and her fright turned to terrified amazement when the man slowly vanished as she stared at him. When she told the neighbors about this experience and described the intruder to them, they assured her that the description fit the captain perfectly even to the cap on his head and the pipe in his mouth. This ghost not only made uncanny noises at night and was visible by day, but he also possessed another disconcerting quality. His presence was marked by the strong odor of tobacco being smoked in a pipe. Often when Mrs. Smallwood was busy in the house, there would come drifting in from the backyard the unmistakable aroma of tobacco smoke. After a couple of confirming sniffs, Mrs. Smallwood would go swiftly out the back door and around the corner of the house, sure that she would catch her sons indulging in the evil habit of smoking. Willie! Willie, where are you boys? Don't try to hide from me. I know you're out here smoking. I smell the tobacco. Come here this minute, the irate mother would order. But although the order of tobacco smoke grew heavier and heavier, Nobody came, and nobody answered. Once in her search for the smoker, she glimpsed a nautical cap vanishing into a clump of trees, and once as she was ordering the boys to step forth like men and confess their misdoings, she heard a deep chuckle, (laughs) followed by a salty oath. The Smallwoods, though upset by these episodes, would likely have continued to live on State Street if the captain had not begun annoying their cook, who was one of the best in Mobile. Mrs. Smallwood knew that her cook was extremely afraid of the spirit world and she had tried to keep her from learning of the captain's ghostly visits. But one morning, the cook came running into Mrs. Smallwood's room, trembling so that she could barely speak. A man wearing a funny cap had been standing in the kitchen door, she mumbled, and when I asked him what he wanted, he just went away. He didn't walk off like folks, he just sort of melted away a little at a time. Mrs. Smallwood tried to calm the woman by telling her that she had only imagined seeing the stranger. Her servant, still trembling, reluctantly returned to the kitchen, and there stood the captain again. This time, all of Mrs. Smallwood's persuasive powers could not entice the cook to stay. Her highly prized servant did not stop to listen or even pause long enough to get her hat and coat. She dashed out the door and was never seen again. Mrs. Smallwood's own nerves had almost reached the breaking point. The frequent appearances of the old sailor and the penetrating smell of his pipe had become unendurable. As soon as they could find another house, the Smallwoods moved out, leaving the captain in undisputed possession of the premises. Four years afterward, the dwelling remained untenanted, save for the gloomy, pipe smoking ghost who could not take leave of the place where, in lonely desperation, he had put an end to his earthly existence.
0: You have been listening. To Holbeck Stage Live and our 13 days of Halloween. Tune in tomorrow for another Alabama ghost story. This has been a production of the Holbeck Stage Inc. and Holbeck Stage Live on WBSL Radio. Please, please, please take the time to visit our website and check the show description for a link to all of our social media. Follow us for upcoming events and announcements about what you can look forward to on our production calendar. Contact this show at wholebackstagelive at gmail.com for sponsorship opportunities. Imagine your name reaching all of our listeners through our episodes. I know, crazy, right? Thank you for listening. Keep coming back and stay kind.